is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you to respect the process. Welcome in. We are live here on this Thursday. Appreciate you guys joining us. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M A R K Z I N N O. D Orlando Ledbetter, the AJC, will join us as first media availability today for the Atlanta Falcons as they start their offseason program and OTAs. We'll get to the Falcons coming up here in just a minute. And there are actually two things that I want you to respect the process on today. And we'll start with the Braves. And then we'll go to the Falcons here because the Braves get an 8-4 win last night over the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, you know, they, they start to get some bats to come alive. It looks like at least for the game, you know, you see a, a team that finally hit the ball at the ballpark with Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where, hey, uh, when you score seven or eight runs a game, everybody looks a lot better, right? And so that's kind of what happened, even though the fact that Ron Lacuna didn't play last night, uh, they still come out on top. Now, uh I absolutely love uh, Jeff Schultz as a columnist here for The Athletic. I think he's one of the best uh, that I've ever been around, and he's really, really smart, and he's got very intelligent viewpoints. That said, I sort of categorically disagree with at least the column that he wrote based off of Jeff Francoeur's comments. Jeff Francoeur, of course, um, you know, is part of the, the Braves broadcast team on TV, and he said – Something to the effect that maybe the Braves need an a-hole uh, in the clubhouse to start and jarring these guys into better shape or, or making them play better. And, well, the first name that came to mind, honestly, obviously for everybody, was Jock Peterson last year with his pearls, and we are those bleep bleepers. Um, and, you know, a couple of years ago, it was Josh Donaldson, right? You know, you had that guy that always made the clubhouse fun and easy and relaxed. Uh, and apparently there was some sort of, you know, idea that maybe Jock Peterson uh, held other guys accountable, this, that, and the other. And, and it, that was the one question I asked about Freddie when he was gone. And I asked it more directed at Ronald Acuna just because, you know, Freddie would always keep Acuna in check with the lollygagging and the, and the you know, showboating and things of that nature. And not that I believe Acuna needed to be kept in check, but Freddie was sort of that guy. Uh, he was he was the adult in the room. He was the dad in the clubhouse. And that, I think, was super important for the team. And I think it was one of those things where, you know, when when uh, things started to go off the rails, Freddie was the guy that that spoke to the team uh, and, and got him back on because he was the most senior guy here and, and the best player here. But this idea that, you know, you need a Jock Peterson here um, to me is, is sort of laughable. I mean, Peterson was acquired midseason. From the Chicago Cubs, he batted 249 and and hit seven home runs last year. What exactly were are you missing? If you're missing a personality in the clubhouse, and a personality makes guys play better, I'm going to argue that that's not really what uh, what what you need. Like guys need to play better, and I don't know that there's a personality that's going to make them play better. They just need to start doing it. Like there's it's one thing when you haven't won um, to have that guy, right? And especially you had to have that guy on a team who had already won because Peterson was part of the Dodgers when they were in the World Series. That guy brings experience. He brings knowledge. He brings perspective. 
that other guys who have never won a title may have had. That's the difference. When everybody in this team in this locker room already has a ring on their finger and has won, they should know better. Like, let's stop searching for quirky little things that are all of a sudden supposed to make this team better so that they can play better baseball. Like, I don't buy into that. They just need to start playing better. Everybody in this clubhouse should understand what it takes to be a World Series caliber baseball team, and they do. They're not performing like it, and I don't know what's going to necessarily make them, but a 249 hitter with seven home runs for 65 games is not I don't think that's the answer. <laughs> I really don't. Like I, I that to me, that just seems nonsensical. It's one of those things where it's like, what are we really reaching for here? I get it. Everybody wants the Braves to play better. And and, and I want the Braves to play better. And I a hundred percent believe that they can play better and they probably will start to play better at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, June 15th, folks, keep the, uh, keep the date on your calendar. But that said, again, uh, this is a process, okay? Baseball is a long, long season. Just get into the postseason. At this point, I trust the Braves in any playoff situation. One-game playoff, three-game series, seven-game series. What's the reason not to? They've got all the pieces that they need. All right? I mean, that's, that's what it boils down to. Would I rather have Freddie Freeman than Matt Olson? Probably. And that's not an indictment on Matt Olson. I'd just rather have Freddie Freeman. There's a reason why he's one of the 12 best players in Major League Baseball, because he is. And that's not to say Matt Olson is bad. He's just not one of the 12 best. I mean, that's, you know, I think it's fair. So let's relax with the try to find quirky little deals and things of that nature of, of how this Braves team is going to get better. They just need to start playing like it. Let's switch to the Falcons here real quick, because again, D. Orlando Lebrard of the AJC is going to join us coming up here in a few minutes. But, you know, the process that they are going through um, here is is interesting. Again, as they start this offseason program, as they start workouts, I'm very curious to see the tone that Arthur Smith is going to set for this team, given the low expectations that they have. Be Pay very careful attention when Falcons players start to meet with the media and they start to talk. Look for the words that they use. Look for the the, the phrases that they use. Look for the sort of terminology that they approach this with. Because the messaging is part of this. Uh, it has to be. It should be. Look, if they're not messaging this properly uh, as far as what their expectations are, look, we know Arthur Smith has said that we're not tanking. We're going to try to win every game possible. That's fine. But every coach says that. But knowing the difference between tanking and just not being a good team is pretty apparent, right? And pretty obvious. Um, this is not going to be a good team. It's not a good roster. I saw yesterday, uh, it was kind of funny, um, the Falcons did like a thing on their social media site of who's the best basketball player. It was like a TikTok video, I think, or something. And every person who came up, they flashed their name at the top of the screen. And I forget somebody on Twitter. Oh God, no, it was our good buddy, Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons wrote, I'm glad they put their names in it. Cause I have no idea who these guys are. And I'd like, yeah, that's, that's kind of where, where we are with this thing. You couldn't pick any of these guys out of lineup. If you saw them in, in Publix or Kroger, you wouldn't know any of these dudes are. You would have no idea that they play for the Falcons. They're just like a big muscular guy. I'm a big muscular guy. Well, not that big, but you get the point. So um, the process for this offseason and what they're going to do and how they're going to attack it, I think is going to be very, very interesting. I think Arthur Smith is a guy who believes in culture, uh, and he's a guy who wants to set the tone early on for what this team is and what they're going to be and how they're going to play. Now, again, I still feel like they're going to be more competitive 
than people are going to give them credit for. I don't know. Look, if this is a three-win team, that would actually surprise me. Like, it genuinely would surprise me. They may be bad, but I don't know if they're two or three win bad. They're not like Jacksonville Jaguars, one and 15 kind of bad. Um, however, I will say this much, and this goes back to the gambling thing for me. The Westgate Superbook has assigned their power rankings, which is basically what they use to help equate the point spread of any given game, right? Um, they have power ranked the Falcons as the worst team in the National Football League at minus 5.6. So theoretically, playing any team on a neutral field, the Falcons would automatically be 5.6 or 5.5-point underdogs. Right? Like that's really what – if you're playing the, an even team – not any team, I should say. If you're playing an even team, that's zero. So let's just take the, the Buffalo Bills, who are the number one team. They're at 5.9, plus 5.9. If, if it's a neutral field, you take the 5.9 that they are minus the 5.6, you get almost an 11-point spread. Buffalo Bills would be favored by 11. That's kind of how odds makers do it. And I say all this not because, you know, it always comes back to gambling with me, but um, that the Falcons, again, I think may surprise some people. And, and I'm going to rely on the side of Arthur Smith here and give him a little bit of credit and give him a little bit of, of uh, money in the bank with me that he's going to make this team better than what they are because of the process. All right, coming up next, we'll dive deeper into the Atlanta Falcons and the offseason program with the Orlando Ledbetter of the AJC. That's coming up right next here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. It is A to Z. I'm Mark Zuno. Stay with us. More to come free here on YouTube and Locked On Sports, wherever you get your podcast. That's what you search for. We'll be right back. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. You search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Time to dive into the Atlanta Falcons as they uh, have their first media availability today. For all the Atlanta media at OTAs and joining us now, nobody knows the Falcons better. He's my good buddy, D. Orlando Ledbetter of the AJC. D. Led, always great to talk to you, brother. How you been? Hey, I've been great, Mark. Thanks for having me again today. Always, you know, we, honestly, we should just like, you know, set up a camera right outside of our, our houses since we're neighbors and we could just, you know, do this outside with a with a cocktail one day. You know, that's probably the way we should do this going forward. I'm I'm for that. I'll sign up for that. <laughs> All right. Simulcast. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I, you know, I talked earlier this week uh, about Kyle Pitts progression, and it's something I'm really curious to watch. And, you know, I think the default for people will be, well, Matt Ryan's gone. He doesn't have a quarterback. He doesn't have an offensive line. And, you know, his numbers should take a hit. I, I don't think D led. It's the one area I'm not giving Arthur Smith a pass on. And I'm not giving Kyle Pitts a pass. You drafted him fourth overall. You have to find a way to get him the ball. He's clearly one of your best weapons and one of your, your best mismatches on the field. There's no reason he shouldn't see 120 targets again. I don't care if Marcus Mariota can't hit him with the ball. I want to see the target share be there. And, oh, by the way, if they were so worried about their quarterback issue, then why did they draft the wide receiver first again? Like, there should not. it's not an excuse not to feed Pitts and Drake London the ball on a routine basis because if you don't, then what did you draft him that high for? Yeah, no question about it. Uh, you know, Kyle Pitts is going to get his targets. My uh, expectations for him were low last year just because the history of tight ends coming in and uh, making an impact just wasn't there. You know, uh, you got to go all the way back to Jeremy Shockey. You know, we went through all that. So, um, you know, getting a 1,000 yards was good. The, uh, you know, inability to get him the ball in the red zone was not so good. 
So, right. you know, now they got uh, targets to go with him. That should free him up in the red zone or free somebody up. Because, you know, if he wasn't open, they didn't get it to anybody else. So uh, they didn't have any uh, help for him last year. So now can the quarterbacks get him the ball? That's a whole nother issue. But, you know, they knew that when they decided to trade Matt Ryan and move on to these uh, kind of RPO spread type quarterbacks, which is, you know, what I expect them to do to get him the ball, to get him open on a lot of different situations. There are two other areas, two other stats that I'm paying close attention to when it comes to Kyle Pitts. One is yards per reception. Last year, of people who caught at least 50 balls, Kyle Pitts was sixth in the NFL behind names like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson in yards per catch at over 15. He's got to be up there again. Like That just denotes these are big playmakers. These are guys that change your offense. That's why you drafted him to do that. And the other one I'm looking at is of his 68 catches last year, D-Led, 43 were for first downs. Be a move of the chains guy, right? Like two out of every three catches netted a first down to Kyle Pitts. That's a that's a good stat to have in your back pocket. Oh, yeah, no question about it. Uh, you know, that was more out of necessity. You know, that was uh, Gage's role before. He was hurt a little bit last year. Uh, but, yeah, he definitely has to be a factor on third downs when they know he's coming. Um, you know, they, they did it. Arthur did it in a um, unique kind of way. You know, they uh, had him running short stuff, had him running long stuff, had him running in cuts, had him uh, running a whole lot of routes that were new to him. So, you know, the second year uh, of him running these routes should improve, um, you know, for him. You know, this just the issue of, um, you know, wh where the ball's going to be when he's running his routes. D-Led, as we start, OTAs here. Uh, look, we assume Marcus Mariota is the starter. How much room is there for Desmond Ritter to actually go out and try to win this job from the jump? Yeah, I don't think uh, there'll be much room. Uh, they're going to give him a shot, though. Uh, but uh, realistically, but what does this shot look like? Sorry to cut you off. Like, what is what does that mean? They're giving him a shot. Like, a, he'll get reps with the ones from here to there. Is that a shot? Uh, he'll get a game. He'll get an exhibition game. It may be the first or the second, uh, but it won't be the third. Who's ever starting that third game is going to uh, uh, get an opportunity. Yeah, they'll probably flop them. They'll start Marcus with the ones in the first game, and then uh, Desmond with the ones in the second game. That's a small sample size. But if he shows he can do it, you know, uh, they might do like Malarkey and Musgraves did. They're like, hey, well, why are we messing around here? This is going to be your quarterback. Might as well get him out there. Yeah. So they could always do that. But I know that they um, would prefer to develop him and bring him along and play him when he's ready and not just play him for some agenda to sell tickets and so forth. No, I mean, again, I, I don't I think the agenda, at least for me, is to figure out what you got. Right. Because it, allegedly, if the quarterbacks next year coming out are as good and supposedly if the Falcons are going to be that bad and drafting me to the top again, you need to know if you're going to go get another one or this is the guy. I think that should be the only agenda. But I would say, you know, I'll do the fan thing, D-Led. Well, you know, Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round and he won a job over Matt Flynn. So clearly it can happen. Uh, yeah, I don't think any of that is remotely the same, but I'm leaving it, leaving the door open to the possibility. Uh, clearly the secondary is going to be probably the most polished group of the entire position groups up on this team, right? I mean, like it, it's fair to say that at this point. Yeah, I, I concur with that. Um, you know, they uh, that's the one you feel the um, most comfortable about. 
Is it fair to say that my guess is for the actually the group that I think will surprise everybody more than anything is the linebacking core? Um, and, and I say that only because I know Dean Peace and what he does and how good he and Ted Monachino are for linebackers in general. Now, I'll dovetail that statement by saying, you know, it's uh, May 26th. He led in, in four days. Or, or do we still have Deion Jones on this roster? I'll let you answer that in a minute. But uh, what will be the second best position group? Well, the position group you think that surprises us the most after the secondary. Yeah, I'll stick with you with the linebackers because, um, you know, we got a story coming out later today, breaking that whole situation down with Dion. Uh, they lost Foyer. They signed Rashard Evans. Nick Kawatowski was signed, uh, you know, to help in the middle. Troy Anderson was drafted. So um, it's stacked up pretty good inside. Uh, and, you know, they're not giving Dion his job back if he comes. You know, you got to come earn it. Uh, that's that entitlement that we hear Arthur talks about. Uh, you know, the Falcons used to keep guys around here just because they drafted them. You know, Deidre Sanat stayed for, for years just because he was drafted by him. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the lineman there, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but his daddy played in the league. Jake uh, Matthews. Fourth, uh, no, fourth-round pick uh, uh, tackle from USC. But anyway, uh, but, but they don't want to, you know, uh, just – Pay, just play Dion because he has a big salary. So he's going to have to win his job, uh, and there'll be a competition there. At outside linebacker, you got Artie Agundajay. They drafted him. He played a lot, but he didn't do nothing. Uh, Lorenzo Carter is coming in. You like that. And Arnold Igbikite is coming in. So you like that. And D'Angelo Malone. So from those four guys, they got to get a pass rush. And the one we feel least uh, comfortable about is up front with Grady. You got Anthony Rush. You got uh, Vincent Taylor as the big nose tackles brought in. And then they're going to need Tyquan Graham or Marlon Davidson to give them some push from that other defensive end spot. So, um, you know, that's how we look at the secondary spot. I think, you know, Casey Hayward could still play at 32. You can get Isaiah Oliver in there at nickelback. Terrell's fine. And then the, the two young guys got to take over at safety, Jalen Hawkins and Richie Grant. So, you know, they got to be ready to play. And if they can't, they got Eric Harris as insurance. Right. Uh, let's flip over to the offensive side of a group that I don't know that we'll see much improvement from, and that's the offensive line. I'm, I'm foolishly optimistic that they can get better. I mean, look, they can't get worse, right? Uh, and it's a good thing you got a semi-mobile quarterback, at least two of them, because they may be running for more than their life at this point. Yeah, no question, Mark. And I'm – you know, the philosophy is different than we're used to seeing. Uh, I talked to Coach yesterday, and he said, hey, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to find uh, five first-rounders up there. And we know that the old regime stacked that line with first-rounders for one year. You know, they didn't work. James Carpenter and, you know, uh, Alex Matt. You know, you had all first-rounders at one point. So this is a philosophical change on, you know, griming it up, putting the line together uh, through whatever parts you can scrap heap you can find. And, uh, you know, it's worked for some coaches like Alex Gibbs. Chicago did that for years. You know, the Packers were the alternative. They went first-round pick guys. Uh, There's different ways to do the, the New line. New York Giants did it. They won two Super Bowls with a patchwork offensive line. They didn't so have that's any what they're trying to picks. do here. Yeah. So I get it. I just don't know how well they can perform at this point. 
Right, and you can scheme up a lot of stuff, uh, but you can't scheme up blocking. I don't care what you do. You can fake people out, uh, you know, RPO them, uh, misdirection. Uh, but, you know, if, at some point you're going to have to push some people around and get a yard. And, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, you got to have a line that can do that and handle that t- type of workload. Uh, I have said earlier, uh, and you can mark it down that you heard it here first, so when you write your column for the AJC, you could say Mark Zeno told me this. Uh, Tyler Algier is the week one starting running back. When, when they take the field against the Saints, he is, he is the week one starting running back. Like, there's no reason to think that he's not. I, I mean, Cordero Patterson is not uh, a, a 15, 20 carry guy. Um, he's more like an 8 to 10 maybe, or 6 to 10 kind of guy. But the bell cow back on this team at this point has got to be Algier. There's really nobody else – you know what Kadri Allison is and what he's not. Um, you know, you, you got some other guys there, that veterans that you signed, but I don't think you're signing them to be that guy. So what's the reason to believe that Tyler Algier won't be starting running back week one? He's going to get every opportunity, yeah. Mark. He blows some pass, pass protections in the exhibition season that will yeah. cost him. Uh, but That's kind of a sore spot around here. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Long, yeah, big, big history of that. So, but uh, yeah, no reason to think he's not. Uh, you know, Corderell's going to, um, they're going to try to see if they can do more with him at running back. I don't know why. We saw enough last year. We saw the maximum of that, I think. Uh, one guy to keep an eye on is Caleb Huntley. Uh, guy they kept around last year. They think he's got some pop in the outside zone um, uh, scheme. And, uh, you know, maybe a long shot guy to keep an eye on if these other guys don't come through. Damian Williams is a pro. He's 30. You know, he's been a serviceable backup everywhere at LSU, a former LSU back. No reason to think he can take on a full load because he hadn't done it by now. So, um, you know, they got a bunch of pieces back there. And it's an opportunity for Algier to step forward. If he can't do it, we've seen Allison. Uh, you know, if he can't do it, maybe the Caleb Huntley kid can, who played at Ball State, little stocky guy, kind of like Michael Turner, too. Uh, doesn't have a, the speed that Michael Turner had, but uh, don't want to – well, they're both – Michael was a Mac back, too, you know, northern Northern Illinois. So uh, I want to see what uh, Huntley can do. He's had a year on the practice squad. So if Algier or Huntley can't take that job, then they're back in that patchwork mode where they're, you know, using Patterson and – uh, Damian Williams and, you know, Olison again. All right, final thought here, D-Led. Um, and I'm curious to see how this all plays out. With the expectations being so low, I'm just kind of curious on the messaging that Arthur Smith is going to put out and what's the tone he's going to set for camp. You know, again, I, like he talked about tanking is the stupidest thing ever. Like, I get it, right? We're, we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is in the big picture, what is he trying to build? And, and, you know, I pay close attention to the words that they use and the phrases that they use. And I'm not talking about brotherhood stuff like that DQ used. I'm just saying in general, the way they speak and how they approach things this year with expectations being so low, what sort of tone and tenor do you think Arthur Smith will set? And will it be any, will it be any different from what he had last year? Um, you know, the, the main, no, I want the uh, main things. There's three things, Mark, teaching, development, and winning culture. They think they can do that, teach these players, develop them, and then still try to go out and win some games, which, you know, they did last year, probably to their detriment. Uh, they went out and beat the, you know, Giants and Jets and the, you know, the, the dregs of the league last year. This year, they're not playing the dregs of the league. So that's going to be a little bit harder to do. So, but that's it. Uh, 
develop these young players, uh, teach them, develop them, and then try to win, try to establish a winning culture. And so that's going to be a little bit harder, that third prong, given their schedule and so forth. And, you, you know, you don't have a quarterback pretty much. Uh, you know, developing one, that's one of the ones we'll be teaching and developing a lot. So, uh, you know, you're on the ground floor of a rebuild. They can call it whatever they want. That's what it is. Uh, they're trying to build out the roster and see if they have a quarterback. If they don't have a quarterback, they'll go back and get another one. So, you know, keep on developing quarterbacks, you know, kind of like the Packers did when, you know, they kept – they had Brett Favre, but they kept drafting quarterbacks every year. They drafted Mike Brunel, uh, Ty Dittmer, uh Matt Hasselbeck, Aaron Brooks, you know. Uh, and so, to, you know, we may be in that type of situation here in Atlanta where you keep going at quarterback until you get one. Well, let's hope, let's hope not. But uh, it's going to be an interesting ride, to say the least. D-Led of the AJC, thanks for the time. As always, brother, you're the best. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Take care. All right. Coming up next, uh, we'll hand out some shovels of wisdom. And how is this still a headline? That's next right here on A to Z on Locked on Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked on Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Uh, we'll wrap things up with a headline that I still can't believe is a headline. But first, it's time for Shovels of Wisdom. Brace yourselves because it's time for the Shovel of Wisdom. And that's right, Shovels of Wisdom. If you'd like to leave me a Shovel of Wisdom as well, you can do so on my Twitter account, at Mark Zeno, with the hashtag Shovel of Wisdom. And today, my shovel goes to Corey Ziedman. <laughs> Corey Ziedman uh, lives in Boca Raton, Florida, and he is a professional poker player. He was arrested yesterday on charges of fraud and money laundering related to a sports betting scheme that brought him more than $25 million from alleged victims. Now, Zeman is 61 years old and won the World Series of Poker in 2012. Won a bracelet, I should say. Uh, there's several different, you know, for those who don't follow poker, there's several different sort of tournaments you can win a bracelet in. But nonetheless, he's a world champion at poker. Uh, and Zeman and his unnamed co-conspirators received more than $25 million in interstate wire transfers and private commercial carriers over 16 years from victims who were led to believe that the organization that he was running gave them privileged sports betting information uh, on a no-risk proposition. So he placed misleading radio ads in various U.S. markets claiming to have sophisticated white-collar approach to gathering sports information. He used uh, names like Gordon Howard Global and Ray Palmer Group. Uh, and they were told, and listeners were told that the organization had privileged information about fixed games that it received from physicians and colleges and television executives. According to the indictment, callers were asked to pay a fee for their access to the information. He did this over 16 years and got $25 million. Like, okay, let's just talk about a couple of things here real briefly. Like, if you get away with something like this and you are scheming people by lying to them, like when you get to 1 million, you probably should cut it off. Like when you get to like 5 million, you definitely should cut it off. When you get to like 10 million, like, hey, dude, end the thing. Take the money and run. When you get to 20 million, go live in a foreign country. What are you doing? He did this for 16 years. Dear Lord. 
How do you get away with something like that for 16 years and not have anybody know? That to me is absolutely bonkers. So instead of uh, enjoying all his stolen money on a private island somewhere, he's now going to be enjoying the inside of a prison cell. Good job, Corey. Way to go. And oh, by the way, continuing uh, with my, you know, always sports gambling theme. Yeah. Uh, when you try to, to cheat and gambling uh, and fix games and do stuff like this, you're, you're going to get caught. Like, you can't do it anymore. You're always going to get caught. That's just the way it is. All right. Uh, let's wrap things up here with uh, Colin Kaepernick, who got a workout with the Las Vegas Raiders yesterday. I, this is not a statement of politics or Kaepernick's politics or anything. How is this still a dominant headline? I don't get it. Like, he hasn't played a football game in six years. Now, if you want to sit here and tell me that it's noteworthy that he's getting a chance to play for something, sure, it's noteworthy. But they make it like stop traffic, you know, stop the presses, like, you know, cut in live to do a Guys. Like, I, again, he hasn't thrown a football in the NFL in six years. He's a backup coming into the league. He got to work out with a team that has a bona fide starter, um, that has playoff aspirations, that made the playoffs last year. Like, he's not he, – we don't make this much hubbub about backup quarterbacks at all. And I guess this one is special. I just generally don't understand it. Like, to me, it, I, I can't wrap my head around at this point. If it was 2018, I got it. 2019, maybe. It's 2022, folks. It's been six years. Like, I'm not sure why this is still a thing. Um, and, and that doesn't take anything away from Kaepernick's talent. Or whether I believe he got blackballed or we got a raw deal. Of course he got a raw deal. I don't think anybody's debating that. But I still don't understand the draw that this individual is when they haven't played a game. Like, I get the draw that Tiger is, even though he stinks at golf after four days at this point, his body can't handle it. But, you know, he gets out there. It's it's still amazing. He's actually playing in majors. He's actually playing in tournaments. Kaepernick isn't playing anywhere. He's throwing at Michigan's spring game for crying out loud. Like, I don't, why is it? I, I don't, I don't understand our obsession with this. I don't, you, you'll have to explain it to me. I can't comprehend it. I'm probably wrong in this. I'm probably the one who's like, you know, he's, you know, you're an idiot. Uh, this is always a big deal. Okay. I just don't see it as much. <laughs> I really, really don't. Like, I, I don't, and that's not to take anything away from Kaepernick. I don't think at all, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, anything he did was wrong. And again, like I said, of course, you got a raw deal. There's no doubt about it. But I, I'd love to put this story to bed at some point and pretend that it's not a story anymore. I always talk about, you know, progress and train leaving the station and things always move forward. This is one station we keep coming back to with the train for some reason I, I can't figure out. But anyway, all right, that'll wrap things up here on this Thursday. Appreciate you guys joining me as you do every single day. We are continuing to grow. Uh, over over 1,500 subscribers already to our YouTube channel, so keep it up. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Like us there. Make sure you follow all the shows and everybody who's on the Locked On Sports Atlanta network on Twitter and on social media. Share all the stories and all the content that we put out there for you guys. We certainly appreciate it. And thanks for making A to Z your first listen every day. Make sure you make Hitting Harder, John Chuckery, your very next listen. The ATL Sports Talker, John Chuckery, Braves, Dogs, Falcons, Hawks, everything that you need right here 
on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Again, we are free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts, you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back tomorrow to wrap things up on a Friday before Memorial Day weekend. You guys have a great day. Don't get any crap from anybody. See you.